folks that have been traveling a lot, and so it's good to see all of you. I'm hey. <laughs> Who are you? I'm Kathleen. Uh, I'm one of the deacons. <laughs> I do go here, believe it or not. Um, yes, so we are reading in Genesis 29 this morning, and I forgot to look in the Pew Bible. Page 21. Thanks, Ray. So if you want to follow along in the Red Pew Bible, it's on page 21. We are going to read chapter 29, verses 15 through 28. Actually going to pick it up in the first part of that one. So, after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another servant, seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. This is one of those weeks when I looked at the scripture and said, yes, no way. <laughs> what do you do with that one for a children's message? I don't know. Anyway, I decided that I was going to show you something I learned today instead, or learned this week instead. Is that okay? All right, good. So I learned this thing with cups. Cups are cool, right? These are pretty. They have pretty flowers on them. So, I am going to turn these cups so that they're all right side up, turning two at a time in less than six tries. Do you think I can do it? Yes, okay. So, let's see, two at a time. Three. Four. I did it. Yay. See, I told you I learned something new this week. All right. Um, does anybody want to try it? See if they can do it? You want to try it? All right. I'll put the... You have to turn two at a time. Why don't you come over on this side so that you can... Whoop, 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 whoop. Don't lose the cups. Come on over here. See if you can do it. You have to turn two at a time, and we want them all to be facing up. Two at a time. That's one. 
Oh, now they're all facing. Oh, oh, one more. Wait a minute. One more. You have to turn one more. This one? Okay. Oh. Two at a time. So if you want to turn that one, pick another one to turn at the same time. Okay, turn both. Like that. Oh, still not. But that's only one. <laughs> good try. That was a good try. You did. Oh, you, you did that when you were a little baby. Anybody else want to come and try it? Elias, I know you're a big boy now. Do you want to come and try it and see if you can do it? Come on up. It's a good skill to have to be able to turn cups right side up, isn't it? Yeah. So we, we want to get all three cups going the right side up but you have to turn two at a time. Well, that's a good start. Good. Hmm, he's thinking I can smell the wood burning. Hmm. He's thinking, he's definitely... Hmm, was that four? that four tries? Two? Only two? Okay. We've got a few more tries. What do you think? Almost. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to tell you a secret. You can't do it. It's not possible. This is not possible to get all three cups turned right side up in less than six turns, or in any turns, turning two at a time. I did it this way. I started with two upside down and one right side up, and I can do it in one. However, Doing it this way, you can get them all upside down in one, but you cannot get them all right side up, turning two at a time. So good job. I'm tricky. Well, you see, you trust me, right? You used to. <laughs> yeah, I think you're still holding back on that uh, the can of beets, right? <laughs> But, see, that happens sometimes. We trust somebody, and we believe them, and then they trick us. And that's what happened to poor Jacob. He trusted his uncle. He said, I'll work seven years, that's a long time, to marry your younger daughter. Now, there's no reason that older daughter couldn't have gotten married in seven years. That's a long time. Why didn't she get married? Yeah, she had weak eyes, but so what? A lot of us have weak eyes. Yeah? So he expected that in seven years, she'd get married and she could have Rachel. Well, his uncle, who he trusted, said, nope, you're getting Leah instead. Not so good. So sometimes we trust people that we think we should be able to trust, and they still trick us. But there's one person that we can always trust who will never trick us. You? I don't know. You trick me a lot. 
who can we trust? We can always trust God. Because even though Laban tricked Jacob into marrying the wrong girl, eventually he got the right girl, I guess. The one he wanted, anyway. Uh, <laughs> and, but God made it all work out. And it's all good. If we trust God, even when things don't seem like they're what we want them to be or how we think they should be or how we think God should think they should be, maybe how we think God thinks they should be, um, God's got it. He's got it under control, and he knows what he's doing, and it's never impossible for him. So anytime you see someone try to make you do this trick, make sure one is up and two are down. Otherwise, you'll never be able to do it. It looks like you should be able to get them all right side up if you're starting with two. That doesn't work. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are trustworthy, that we can trust you in all situations, even when we think we've got it under control, even when we think we know what we're doing and we think we're doing what you think we should be doing. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you put these stories about these people <laughs> in your book and um, want us to learn something about you from them. And so I pray that you will help me to speak clearly and help us to listen well and um, to find you even in stories like this. In Jesus' name, amen. So I kind of chuckled when Kathleen read the passage this morning and said, this is the word of the Lord, because it is. But this is a really weird story that we're looking at today. Um, super sketchy. <laughs> How did we get here? Jacob is getting married. He ends up marrying two women, their sisters. What happened to get into this place? Karma. Okay, well, yes, there's a little bit of that, I think. Go ahead, Dre. Okay, so there's some... There's definitely some cultural customs in play here, um, but why? Where is Jacob? Why is he here? What What did we talk about the last maybe two weeks? Okay. He stuck it to his brother Esau. Esau was the oldest, not by a lot, but he was the oldest brother. And cultural custom, like you mentioned, Ray, this is another oldest thing, where the oldest son was supposed to get the rights, the privileges of being the oldest, and God had a different idea, and Jacob and his mom had a, an idea of how they were going to get there. Um, they didn't wait for God to work it out. They just decided that they were going to take matters into their own hands, and so Jacob deceived his brother and his father, and last week we saw him on the run, but while he was on the run, he actually had a personal encounter with God for the first time, as far as we know. Um, so now he has, he was traveling to Haran, which we know is where Abraham's family, many, well, a few generations before, many decades before, had settled after they left their hometown of Ur in what is now Iraq. And he's going back there because he needs to find some semi-like-minded people who he can 
among whom you can find a wife. Because Jacob is the next step in the promise that God has made to Abraham to bless the world. So Jacob gets to Haran, and he meets right away this woman at a well named Rachel. And we didn't read about that part, but that's how he gets to know Rachel, who we do meet in this story. And he also meets, although apparently he doesn't know it at the time, a bigger liar than he is. And he found some like-minded people. <laughs> they were also like-patterned, maybe. Um, this is a deceitful side of the family. So Jacob, like you were saying, Sandy, it is sort of karma on, a, on some level. Jacob deceived, and now he is bearing the brunt of someone else's deceit. There's a little bit of what's called poetic justice in this. So Kathleen read to us this little snippet of this bigger story. Jacob meets Rachel. She introduces him to the rest of the family. He starts working for Rachel's father, who is Jacob's uncle, Laban. Laban is a farmer, like most of the people. He has lots of sheep and, and cattle, and Jacob starts taking care of them. And after a little while, Laban says, maybe we should pay you so you're not just doing this for free. Um, and I'm sure to Jacob that seems great because, you know, that, that would make his uncle look good. His uncle is considering more than just sheltering him and housing him. What do you want? And so Jacob, who's already infatuated with Rachel, says, I would like to marry your daughter, Rachel. And, ja and Laban says, okay. Work for me seven years, and then you can marry her. And so Jacob, I, I've always been interested in this part of the story where it says he worked for the seven years, and it seemed like a day because he was so in love with her. And I'm like, I would feel like that would feel like forever. But whatever, I guess good for him if it <laughs> didn't seem like forever. Probably part of the reason for this was because Rachel was much younger than Jacob. And so she needed to get to a marriageable age. And presumably, so because we know that Laban was a liar, I'm not even sure if he was telling the truth when he says to Jacob, we marry our older daughters off first. But if that were true, presumably everybody thought seven years is enough time for Rachel to get old enough and for Leah to find a husband. But Rachel was the pretty one. I've always felt kind of a connection to Leah um, as an oldest daughter, and fortunately I have parents like she did. But, um, but there's a lot of pressure all the way back, this far back, and into today on women to look a certain way and be a certain way and <coughs> maybe be flirtatious and, and that kind of thing. And Leah apparently wasn't those things. And even in a culture where marriages were often arranged or maybe always arranged, um, somehow Leah managed to not get married. So the wedding night must have been quite a party because Laban gives his other daughter 
to Jacob, and Jacob doesn't realize it until the next morning. <laughs> um, what's that? Pay attention. <laughs> yes. So there, some stuff went on. Um, but anyway, in the morning, he realizes he's with the wrong girl. Just imagine how Leah feels in all of this. It's horrible. And then, so she gets given to a man that she knows actually wants her sister and works for her sister. And Jacob, and she is forced by her father to marry this man. And then Jacob doesn't actually, he wakes up in the morning, he's like, ugh. Her? No. And so then Laban, because polygamy was a thing, Laban says, well, you can have the other one too. I'll give her to you in a week, but you've got to work another seven years to pay her off. There are so many things to be offended by in this story. <laughs> um, but one thing that we might be less offended by, we might consider being less offended by, is Bride prices were a cultural thing, too, and that does tend to imply that women were considered property, and that is often the case. However, I think in this case, at least, Jacob genuinely loved, or at least thought he loved, Rachel. And so he was, in some way, honoring her as a person by being willing to put in all this time for her. Rachel, however, was not honored as a person. Leah was not honored as a person in the way that things played out, especially by their father. Laban himself, it's, it is unclear whether Jacob really thought of his wives as property, but Laban definitely thought of his daughters as property. And he wheeled and dealed with them, and then things got even more complicated because God actually felt sorry for Leah. So he allowed Leah to have children, but prevented Rachel from having any. So then Rachel said, oh, you know what? I'm going to have, kind of like Sarah did with Hagar, I'm going to have kids through my servant, Bilhah. So then Bilhah started having kids, and then Leah wasn't having kids anymore, and so then she said, well, I'm going to give him my servant, Zilpah, so there's four women, and they're all fighting amongst each other, trying to receive the honor that they are able to receive in this culture. Jacob is getting pulled four different ways by this strife-filled household. And there are all these kids, and they're being had, but they kind of are being dehumanized too. Nobody is working out in this situation. Like, nobody's living their best life. Nobody. <laughs> um, there is no place in the Bible that says, do not have more than one wife, but there are so many stories in the Bible of the very dehumanizing for everybody situations that play out when you try to invest on a sexual romantic level with any with more than one person in a covenant before God. This family situation is a mess. 
And then it gets even more messy because after those 14 years, which, how many people have worked a bad job with a bad boss? Uh-huh. <laughs> Can you imagine sticking with that? And you also live with the person? <laughs> and you're related to them now through marriage four times, or at least two times? It does sound like reality TV, <laughs> right? It's a mess. And then it gets more messy because now Jacob is like, well, now I have this humongous family, and I need to be able to provide for them, and I need to not be fully dependent on my father-in-law, who's a jerk. So they reach an agreement that Jacob will own any sheep that have some kind of blemish on them, and so spotted or striped or, or whatever. And Laban makes sure that he takes all the pure white or pure black or whatever color ones and brings them far, far away from the blemished sheep and goats. And he tries to make sure that he's breeding them, all the healthy ones, all the pure ones, um, and getting more property than Jacob, but Jacob, at this point, brings God into the mix. And this story, it's weird, I'm not going to go into all the details, there's stuff with like, strips of bark, and kind of sounds a little magic-y, but it becomes clear that God is trying to bless Jacob, even in this crazy situation, and so... Whenever they agree, okay, Jacob's only going to own the striped animals, all of a sudden, all the striped animals are having striped babies. All the, all the animals are having striped babies. Uh, okay, only the spotted ones. Then all of a sudden, there's only spotted babies. God is trying to build up Jacob's property to provide for him, and also as part of the blessing. As we might remember from last week, when Jacob had his dream, after Jacob had his dream, he said, surely God is in this place, and had this encounter with God where God said, I'll be your God. And Jacob said, you can be my God if you take care of me, protect me, and bring me back here. Well, God is, in spite of all the mess, taking care of him and protecting him. Jacob is still facing the consequences of deceit. His encounter with God in the dream and his promise that he made to belong to God, if God lives up to God's promises, those promises and the dream and all that nice interaction has not made the consequences go away. But Jacob is changing. As regards his family, Jacob has stopped being devious. He found a woman to marry who would meet his parents' approval. Unfortunately, didn't really work out the way he wanted it to, but he actually did, he, he had a task and he did the task. He actually loves her. He finds a culturally appropriate way to ask for her hand in marriage from her father. This is kind of crazy. He waits to have sexual relationships with her until he has fulfilled his seven years side of the bargain. For anyone who says that's impossible, this guy was living in the household of his future wife for seven years, and he waited for her, so you can do it. When he finds out he's been tricked by his father-in-law, he complains pretty strongly, and that's terrible for Leah, but from 
Jacob's perspective, he actually fulfills the seven more years that his father-in-law stipulates. Essentially for the same woman. For a sketchy father-in-law, even though he could have, if he was old Jacob, he could have said, I was tricked, I have both women now, I'm going to cut and run. Like my father-in-law said, work for seven more years, but I already got Rachel, so I'm out of here. We'll find somewhere else to go. But Jacob is now being a person of integrity. Messy, but he's living with integrity in the mess to the extent that he can. However, just because Jacob is no longer living out the family sin of deceitfulness, it doesn't mean the other family members aren't. They clearly are. After being tricked in the wife situation, Jacob no longer trusts Laban. So this is really interesting. I think sometimes people who are deceitful have a weird level of trust in other people. Like they... They will trick other people, but they imagine that other people are maybe not as sneaky as they are. This isn't always true, but, but sometimes it is. And it kind of seems like this was the case with Jacob. For seven years, he really had no reason to doubt Laban until Laban did the wife swap thing. And now he knows, I cannot trust this guy. So, he isn't deceitful, but he is also not completely naive. He is shrewd. He operates shrewdly for as long as he remains in Laban's household. But now he's doing this with God instead of in his own efforts. He has to live with the consequences of his own deceit, but he doesn't have to live that way alone. And God blesses his efforts. So, what do we do when we're surrounded by jerks? <laughs> I mean, people are messy. We're complicated. Is there anybody here who's not sometimes? You don't have to raise your hand. Never mind. Well, okay. Here, here's, here's, some, here's some things, and this is kind of what I mean. I mean, I, the sermon is titled... Uh, trusting God around untrustworthy people. People don't have to be liars, outright liars, to be untrustworthy. There are ways that people can, you can have people who lie and cheat, and that's a pretty common one. But there are other ways that people find to manipulate each other, even good people. Or who, or we, or sometimes people will tempt us into situations and then we get stuck there. Or there are people who harm us, either physically or mentally or emotionally. If we are around those people, and guess what? You are. And sometimes you might be those people. Make sure you're walking with God. We've all done stuff that puts us in situations where we have to bear the consequences of our choices. But when we have that interaction with God, when God gets our attention and says, hey, I'm here and I want to be your God, you're kind of in a mess right now, let me uh, 
help you out here, but you've got to walk with me. Walk with him. Be faithful, not just to what God wants, but to who God is. God is faithful, God is true, God is trustworthy. God also doesn't really take any crap. <laughs> God knows what's going on inside people, so he doesn't just gloss over everything's fine, oh, everything's fine. That's not what we have to do. Be a person of integrity who loves like God loves, but who is realistic about the situation that we're in and the people we're around. Jesus said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And I feel like even in this messy situation, Jacob kind of does that. He is very wise with, after he realizes Laban's true colors, he is very wise with how he negotiates property ownership and all of that kind of thing with Laban. He does not let Laban walk over him anymore. But he doesn't cheat him. He doesn't trick him. He walks with God and acts with integrity and truth. No more lying and cheating. He positions himself, though, to succeed with God's help. He actually honors his father-in-law, but he stops allowing his father-in-law to walk all over him or dictate the terms of their arrangement. Jacob is the one dictating the terms. And as we're walking with God, as we're being faithful, not just to what God wants, but who God is, at the appropriate time, set appropriate boundaries. So, Jacob set appropriate boundaries while he was still working for Laban by saying, okay, this is mine. This isn't yours anymore. This is mine. And this is how I'm going to operate with my, my family and my things. So we can hang in to the less than ideal situations for as long as God genuinely keeps us there. Sometimes God has reasons for keeping us in places that are uncomfortable and that aren't good. But when it's time to separate, don't wait around. I am speaking from experience on this. <laughs> Jacob ends up leaving his father-in-law. He takes all of his family, 12 sons, a daughter, four wives or concubines, um, all the sheep and goats and everything, servants and everything that he has acquired, and sneaks away. I don't know how you sneak. <laughs> With as many people as he takes, but they get out of there. He leaves like sometimes, unfortunately this happens, sometimes spouses have to leave an abusive relationship, and the, way to, the only way to do that is to just leave with no real prep or letting anybody know. And this is basically what Jacob does. His wives actually agree with him. They are like, yeah, in spite of all the fighting that they've had, they would rather be with Jacob than their dad, which tells you something. So they leave. La 
finally figures out they're all, I mean, it couldn't have taken that long to figure out they're all gone, <laughs> and chases them down. But Jacob stands his ground. And they, Laban and Jacob, set up a physical boundary indicating they will not cross, neither one of them will cross from one side to the other. There's a verse there, I forget what chapter it's in, but um, where the older versions say something like, uh, may the Lord watch between you and me while we are apart. And a lot of people like to use that as this nice little greeting card blessing. But what the context that it's really in is you stay on your side, I'll stay on my side. If anybody crosses to the other side, yeah, like, <laughs> right. So there is little, sometimes you have to put up a literal boundary. We are not having anything to do with each other anymore. God loves everybody. And God gives us the power to love people in his name and to forgive everybody. But not everybody chooses to be in a relationship with God. By the time Jacob leaves Laban, Laban has essentially not had anything to do with God. And actually, he's still chasing after false gods. That's the other story. But Jacob belongs to God now. Jacob is in a relationship with God. And those two things, you, when you are set in that decision, they will drive you further and further apart from people who have made the opposite decision. At some point in time, we might get to the point where we realize this other person or this other job or this situation, I could stay here, but it will damage my relationship with God and it will damage other people's relationship with God. And then we need to draw a line. I had to do that with the church that I used to work for and I'm sure that some of you have had to make that kind of choice also. It's difficult, especially when it's family, but sometimes it has to happen. So remember, we don't have to make ourselves untrustworthy to handle untrustworthy people. And we don't have to force ourselves to trust untrustworthy people. We should be aware, if, they're untrust, if they have proven themselves to be untrustworthy, they're untrustworthy. I don't need to act like they're going to be trustworthy. And while we, when we come to that realization, make sure you cling to God. Make sure you are around God the whole time. Put God first. Talk to God constantly about your situation. Listen to him. God actually has ways of communicating to us, and it takes practice sometimes to figure that out, but stay in his word, pray to him, and listen. When God says stay, even if it's difficult, stay. But when God says leave, follow him out. Always, always cling to where God is and imitate him. The way that we stay trustworthy, 
even when people around us are not, is to be faithful to who God is and also to what God wants. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes um, it's hard to follow you, and some of us, like me, just want to like everybody and trust everybody and um, assume the best, and that is a good starting point. But as Jacob found out, um, not everybody earns that that approach forever. And so, Lord, we pray that we will seek to get to know you better, that you will make us more and more like you in love and wisdom, that we will be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, like Jesus said, that we will be like Jesus in all of our relationships, that we will not allow the enemy to walk over us, that we will submit to hardship when it's for our growth, but that it will be submission to you and no one and nothing else that could pull us away from you. We trust you, Lord. Thank you that you are trustworthy. You will never let us down even when others, other people do. And we pray that we will be trustworthy like you. In Jesus' name.